Hey everyone, Ernest Calderon here. Thanks for tuning into the show. Our episode this week went extra long talking about Quentin Tarantino, so we split it into two parts. Part one, which you're listening to right now, is our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his newest movie. And part two is our top five Quentin Tarantino movies. So make sure you listen to this and then tune into that one and enjoy it. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. one was that for? Stop, hold on, stop the song. Stop the song. What was that for? What was that? A bird? Tarantino's noise. A what? Gunshot, gunshot, bang, bang, boom. <laughs> a knife noise. Fuck! A mic! Arrivederci. Hello, folks. Welcome to We bought a mic a podcast about quentin tarantino films yes yeah we we've gotten a lot of f- feedback that we don't seem like we are first year film students enough mm-hmm. uh and so to, we don't have any tarantino posters yeah, up in the pod studio right now that's true i would have thought that we did but it, to, anyway to quench all of those listeners' thirst. We're dedicating a whole episode to QT himself, the Q man, the Q. He's a cutie. He's not. He's not. <laughs> not at all. There's <laughs> a reason why he tried to make it as an actor, and he was unsuccessful. So he's like, I yeah. guess I'll get behind the camera, and then I put myself in my movies, and there's nothing you can fucking do about yeah. it. Yeah, strikingly similar to John Favreau. <laughs> he has a way. really big forehead. <laughs> He, yeah, and it gets bigger as striking, strikingly similar to John Favreau. Yeah. They both have wow. crazy protruding chins, just giant heads in general. I, and would, then... I would still rather fuck John Favreau than Quentin Tarantino. Well, I don't know. That's a tough Favreau, one. At least I... Favreau's got a nice beard. Hmm. Quentin Tarantino looks like a deformed 12-year-old. Yeah, but think yeah. about what Tarantino would make you do. It'd be some foot it'd be shit. so much foot stuff. Yeah, it would, and also I would imagine he's also into like some sort of like gore porn stuff. Yeah, so see, so you'd rather have Favreau than QT. Yeah. Favreau would just want to make it look as real as possible. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm Ernest. I am Hunter. I'm I'm still here. Dribbles. Drew. Yeah. Yes, he's here. Yes, okay. Uh, we are talking. Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie, Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 in Hollywood. I'm glad you gave it a pause. We're going to pause every time that we say the title mm-hmm. of this movie. That is the full title. That is the official title. So you have to put, what is that called? An ellipsis? ellipsis? Yes. Um, Can we? Could we make it into like a wabam type where we yes. pronounce the act? It's, it's uate. Yeah, it's uate. <laughs> uate. <laughs> Let's just do that. It's going to take hours if we don't yeah. do that. Also, we will be giving you a little rank of uh, Quentin films after our review. Um, so make sure you stick around for that past the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get into our thoughts. Um, I want to do a little preamble here before I get into Uh-oh. my thoughts. Oh, watch out. And it harkens back to our review of Us, the Jordan Peele film earlier this year. Interesting. Which, basically, there's a lot of similarities here. This is a uh, desert, a, a, a barren desert of original film. That we live in. 2019. Yes. Yeah. 
And every once in a while, there's a little puddle, a little sweet nectar puddle of original filmmaking that we get. We got it in Booksmart. Mm. We got it in Us. Mm -hmm. And now we get it again. Midsommar. Midsommar, yes. And now we get it again in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The difference here, the reason why I'm making the link to Us is because these aren't like indie movies that nobody sees. Yes. These are big, big movies for the widest possible audience. This movie made $40 million over the weekend. Yeah, not bad. So... And also, there's the given fact that, like, Quentin Tarantino is, like, one of the most recognized, celebrated auteur directors yeah. of all well, time. Well, and that's... that's People ulti- who don't know movies know his yeah. name. Ultimately, that's why we are missing these movies now because there were only a few people who were allowed to still make them with a bigger budget. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people who can get a million dollars from A24 or whoever and then make a smaller yeah. scale movie. This is like a hundred million dollar movie or something like it was, that. It was, yeah, it was way bigger time than any uh, indie studio would allow for. Uh, and there are just not many studios who are willing to let uh, directors mm-hmm. do that. Jordan Peele is allowed to do it now, which is awesome. Like, I'm really glad. After he, only one movie. Yeah, and he still goes low budget, even though yeah. he doesn't have to. <laughs> He's not quite at the Tarantino yeah. level yet. Uh, Tarantino's allowed to. This is another reason we're all so excited for Ad Astra, because it is an original movie, yeah, unless I'm mistaken. Is it based on something? It's not, I don't think. Um, but even the director of that movie, I think his name is James Gray, he's not a even close to a household name right yeah, now. But I, I'm like, not even 100% sure if that's his name. Yeah, so the, <laughs> I'm looking it up. So the mere fact that, that we see that trailer and we're like, wait, this is like not based on anything and it looks mm. good. Same goes for the Noah... Um, Holly, Noah, Noah Holly, yeah. uh, film um, Lucy, in, Lucy the Sky. in the Sky. Yeah, yeah so we, we get these glimpses. They of, are of original. They are an, they are Timon and Pumbaa in this new Lion King. There are no wastes. And there's there's another another big point I, I wanted to make, which is like we're doing a, a Tarantino rewatch, and we're gonna be giving our thoughts on the the bulk of his filmography. We'll we'll see how how deep we get. But I've been watching a lot of Tarantino movies, and going into this new one. I was going in with this, I guess, expectation of what he's done before. You know, this being his ninth movie, he has eight movies uh, on his... Really, on really his... tenth, if you count both Kill Yeah, Bills. you're right, you're right, yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, for me, he just went from seven straight to nine, which was kind of a crazy move. Like, he never made an eighth movie. Yeah, it, it went Django, then Once Upon a Time. Django, then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was a wild, man. That's, yeah, man, that was there, like seven there is years no ago. eighth movie. Mm-hmm. Definitely I, not a hateful think, eighth movie. <laughs> no, no. That's ew. I hate just that title, much less the movie. And <laughs> and also I gotta mention my um reluctance to watching movie trailers when I'm really excited for a movie. I try to do that as much as I can. And not just trailers, but like uh watching like any r- reviews on YouTube or mm. reading any write ups online. I try to go into something as blind as Ernie possible. Yeah, Ernie is like very religious about this especially when it's a movie that i'm very very looking forward to Mm -hmm. and this quite frankly might be the movie that i was looking forward to the most this year um because i mean it's fucking quentin tarantino like we don't get a quentin tarantino movie every year and to you to your point like there's not like a-list directors aren't really making movies this year like a lot of them we we had a new chazelle we had a new nolan we've had a new barry jenkins movie last year or Mm -hmm. the year before and so 
This movie, like this year, just we had Jordan Peele. We had Jordan Peele, and um, now this, and that was top tier of movies this year. Yeah, you know exactly. Like, and it was almost it's it's like a double edged sword of going into this movie what exactly. I wanted because to get an original movie, I was excited off the bat. I was like, give me anything that's <laughs> not what we've been watching every fucking week. Yeah. So I was I had high expectations, even though I try to keep them low, even though I wasn't particular. I'd never even or I saw Hateful Eight. But it was sorry to spoil Hunter. It does exist. It, I, what Who, I saw it, it on TV one day, and I was there for the entirety of it. But I really did not enjoy it. So yeah, for, hatefully, it's a bad movie. So for that reason, you would want to temper your expectations. But every every other reason to anticipate this movie, you had you had the cast, you had the idea of the movie, you had the fact that we live in a sea of shit, and this is uh, you know even if it's piss, it's better than shit. Also, know? the I saw the trailer for this movie. It shows a good bit, but it doesn't give away what the movie is about, which is my biggest thing about not watching trailers is like it gives away the plot. And then I know like kind of the beats. And when you have an auteur filmmaker like Jordan Peele, very famously did not want to give away in the trailer for twist. Yeah. Yeah. And for Get Out, he didn't want to give away the twist that Allison Williams was uh, in on it. Like Mm -hmm. that was the one thing he was like, hell, like, I'm not going to let people know that. And it turned out that was a brilliant decision. So you have to have power to override a studio that very much wants to tell everyone the whole movie exactly that's the norm well and we should also say a little bit of background so before this movie all of tarantino's movies were weinstein pictures they all were they all were miramax weinstein pictures this is his first non miramax picture that he's put out it's sony columbia which fits the tone of this movie in a really interesting way because Columbia is such like an old Hollywood stand of yeah. a production studio that really it it feels not only was Sony the the production studio that just was like yeah you get final cut you get however much money you want but at the same time it almost seems like it was a little bit purposeful just from a historical standpoint you're saying that he Tarantino wouldn't want to go to A24. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, they pro- they wouldn't be able to afford yeah. him. They're not there yet. And also I I wasn't expecting any really noticeable difference because Tarantino himself is in the producers guild. He is a big time producer of his own movies because he is so uncompromising and so like he wants what he wants. Uh so he was he was going to be all over it no matter what. Um and ultimately, I didn't feel a big gulf in between like any of his other movies in this one. It feels like it fits in his filmography uh, just as well as any other does. I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And, and I'll just segue that into my thoughts, which I'll start by saying this movie really caught me off guard. You know, be, everything I just said in, in this lead up is, is so indicative of how I felt walking out of it. I was very torn. I was very caught off guard. I was like, I, for some reason, I wanted something that this movie isn't. And I, I don't know how much to elaborate on it without giving it away uh, or, or getting into some spoilery stuff. But I'll just say, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this movie, this movie is not, it is, it is definitely a, a Quentin Tarantino movie, but it, for some reason, doesn't feel that way when you're watching it. But then by the time you're done with it, you're like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, that was a Quentin Tarantino movie. But when you're sitting there in the theater, there's something about it that feels very different. That feels very uh, unlike what we've gotten from him recently and what we've gotten from him 
earlier in his career. I mean, obviously, there are things that carry over that 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 we expect from every single Quentin Tarantino movie, but this one, there's something about it that feels unique, and I think that my first reaction was to have that be a negative thing about the movie because I didn't get what I wanted going into it because I was going into this movie. He he was like, okay, he's got Brad Pitt. He's got Leo. (laughs) He's going back to like modern times after doing all these period pieces. He's in, in literal Hollywood for the first time. This, this guy who was obsessed with Hollywood and this movie, it doesn't capitalize on those things in the way that I expected but it still capitalizes on them in a way that I think is very uh, valuable and and worthy of um, praise and yeah. admiration. Because that's, that's an interesting take. I wasn't expecting you to say hardly any of that. And I I <laughs> love the movie. I got it. I got to say I love the movie. I just I really appreciate the fact that like. We with this movie, we get something that we kind of have to think on and chew on and grapple with. And I gotta say, I'm itching to see it again. And I know Hunter, you you got. I just saw it right before we did this podcast. Yeah, and I am I am so itching to see it again, just because I went into it with some of these preconceived notions of what I wanted out of the movie. And and that's honestly that's a knock on me for going into a movie with expectations and not letting it just do its thing yeah but i was building it up to be something that it just wasn't just because i was i don't know i just i just wanted something that the movie isn't i I wanted something a little bit more propulsive something a little bit more uh invigorating and intense Mm -hmm. and this movie is not like that it's it's very laid back it's very uh kind of just meandering and it almost reminds me a lot of Jackie Brown. That's the movie that I keep I was I'm going to make that comparison to, to Jackie because Brown. Because Jackie Brown is that too. It's a movie that there's not a lot of tension, you know. It, we've Hateful Eight is a movie that is all tension. Inglorious Bastards is a movie that is full of continuous yeah, tension. tension. Uh and in this movie I thought that it was going to be like that and it wasn't. And again, I'll reiterate I Initially, I thought that was a negative, and now that I'm chewing on it and sitting on it and really letting it soak in my in my thoughts, I think that's actually not a negative. I think that's a really, really big positive. It just caught me off guard. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Go ahead, Hunter. Um, so I to kind of piggyback on your thought about this, I will say I fucking love this movie with all of my heart. This is my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, This is, in my opinion, this is Tarantino's most mature movie, Mm. which I think is why it is a little bit jarring at first that we're not just, like, immediately introduced to, like, mass bloody violence. Um, This movie, though, despite not having the some of the Tarantino-isms that we've gotten used to, (coughs) there's so much about this movie that gives it this like so for example the sound of this movie we were talking right before we started recording about the soundtrack of this movie and the soundtrack is amazing but not just that the commercials that you hear like it just all gives it this propulsive nature of man we i feel like i am here in 
1969 Hollywood, where the first time I saw this, I was just trying to kind of gather the plot while still, I will say, like Jackie Brown, this is a lot of this movie is just like, it, it, I mean, it still has the amazing Tarantino dialogue, but a lot of it is just, like, hanging out. They aren't on some mission to, like, stop Nazis or anything yeah. like that. Like, you are just hanging out with these characters and, like, a day in the life of um, a failing actor and his stuntman <laughs> and what Hollywood is like whenever you have, like, 1969 is one of the biggest crossroads in American society that we have this old and this new that yeah. are clashing with each other. And... So seeing this, I wasn't. I was thoroughly entertained this entire movie, um, and it's only grown on me more and more. Thinking about the characters, the acting in this movie is just amazing. There's a conversation that Leo as Rick Dalton is the best Tarantino character, in my opinion. I will get into it, but I guess Cliff Booth is Cliff right up Booth, there too. Cliff Booth too. Uh -huh. Like between the two of It'd them, be, are yeah, amazing. it would be hard to even, disagree with. Even some things that I didn't enjoy as much where we'll get into more specifics but the Sharon Tate plotline that was a big controversy coming out of Cannes whenever this movie premiered was that Sharon Tate doesn't have enough lines but what Margot Robbie does with the performance is incredible and especially upon a rewatch whenever I'm not because I think the first time you see this movie you're just like yeah okay you know she's going to do this thing but like I really just want to get back to hanging out with the boys again yeah and seeing this for a second time, I really love what they do with her character and how it plays into the larger narrative of the story in this really interesting way. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, yeah, Drew, what are wow. your thoughts? Okay, so we actually, like, as always, we're all going to be relatively near each other on our scale ratings, but I think we all feel very differently about the movie. Um, I felt that this was... Not the most Tarantino movie movie, but I did feel that this was the most Quentin Tarantino movie, if that makes sense. Like it didn't like it, it's not the most like stereotypical it's version very personal. of his movies, but everything we know about him, this movie explains. You know what I mean? This this is uh, you know what I mean? Like, well, I thought I thought it was going to be that, but in a much more kind of frenetic, over stylized way. I see. I don't know if he has, uh, but he's not. He's not that guy. I, yeah, I don't know if he's he has not... the frenetic left in him. And I'm happy that is. Uh, so I, I think that Tarantino's most overstylized uh, section of his work is his middle tier that he had with Kill Bill and Death Proof. Yeah, those are my least favorite movies of his because um, they're. I love those. They're, but for me, I mean, they're still good movies. But for me, well, I mean, Death Proof, I enjoy. Death Proof, to me, in my opinion, is hardly a movie. Um, we'll get more into that later on. But those are almost, they reach a point when it's pure style over substance. Yeah. Where even if I did really, maybe I'd give his first tier, the first three movies that I make, I might put that in the top echelon. I think that these last, uh, I guess, four movies, if you're considering Hateful Eight, but between Bastards, Django, Eight and now uh, hate, um, Once Upon a Time, this historical drama that he's making, I love it because it's the perfect blend. And I think that in a lot of ways, this movie is the perfect blend of the style and aesthetic that he brings to a movie without being too overstylized. And they still have that very punchy, frenetic dialogue that Tarantino yeah. is known for. And uh, speaking to the dialogue, another point I wanted to make 
is since I also watched Inglorious Bastards today. Uh, since the '90s, since his signature dialogue, you would call in uh, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, that's when he established himself as the person who makes unbelievable looking movies with insane action that also have like funny sitcomy dialogue, Seinfeldian dialogue, I would say, with fuck added to it. But that was his main juxtaposition. His dialogue has matured a lot, and it shows a lot in this movie. Uh, he's gotten a lot better at letting humor arise from situations instead of making people have a Seinfeld conversation of like, oh, I don't tip, do you tip? Like that type of thing. That's just Seinfeld. Um, not that that's a bad thing. Seinfeld, if you haven't heard of it, is very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's gotten a lot better at that. This movie, I wouldn't say is faultless. Um, I had issues with it, but overall, I truly did enjoy it a lot. Probably a little more than I thought I would. Um, the acting, I I don't know how long you're going to let me pop off, but uh, Leo, I think, is pretty ha- uh, handedly the best actor in the world. Uh, not that that is a bold claim at all, but I sometimes you kind of forget because uh, he doesn't do a lot of movies. And not every movie he does completely. He had a, he had high I output uh, in the two thousands. You know, yeah. I when mean, he was doing this... like Catch Me If You Can, Gangs of New York. All like, he's done. Twenty tens is what Django: The Revenant. I That's guess it. Wolf of Wall Street was twenty ten. Yeah, I think twenty thirteen. That was twenty thirteen. So it, he, a yeah. couple of things, but he's very very selective with the roles yeah. they takes. And yeah, and just when you kind of start forgetting about him, th- his performance in this is one of the best performances in any movie I've ever seen in my whole life. It's period. Pretty fucking. It's amazing. Phenomenal. phenomenal. Brad, We're starting the campaign now. Yeah, and uh, Brad Pitt. Not he doesn't have uh, nearly as juicy of a role to dig into, but Tarantino knows what Brad Pitt is good at. He's good at being cool. He's good at taking a shirt off. <laughs> He's good this, at being hot yo, and cool as fuck. Sh- and Brad Pitt is 55 years old, and he is the se- one of the sexiest men so alive. You just you just stepped all over my, my <laughs> game. that I, was, it, I have one question that I was going to ask you, and it is how many years older is Brad Pitt than Leo? Because in the movie... They're be, about the same age. In the, the yeah, characters. Leo is, I mean, not aged nearly as well as Brad, obviously. Brad is 11 years older than Leo is. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is... Un- wow. He is aging like no one I've seen before. Like, he's aging like a fucking painting on a wall. Um, he's actually... I think he's doing a better... Because Clooney... It, like, I feel like the closest similarity to him is the Ocean's partner of Clooney, where Clooney is just aging like fine wine. But Clooney is, like, old person hot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, he, yeah. Clooney's not going to take his shirt off for you to, like, check no, him out. I'd be, like, a little gross, though. Brad Pitt is just like, he's yo, just, Brad Pitt, you can have... You yeah, can be daddy. It's almost like, infuriating because he is just traditionally hot in every way. He's going to have that amazing head of hair till he dies. He's going to have great posture and an amazing body until he dies unless he doesn't want to you know what i mean like it's just insane and he's a really really great actor being utilized so well by tarantino uh he's amazing uh i was uh particularly bothered by what everyone else was the sharon tate storyline because i write hard for i Tanya. we know this i love uh margot robbie and you write hard for suicide squad too right yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. will smith all yeah. of them mm-hmm. um Jared Leto. Common. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, uh, I I was bothered because, like you said, her plot line is probably the least juicy, the most meandering, you could you could probably say, in the movie. 
and it did not have to be. And this is an extremely long movie. And what hit the cutting room floor, we may never know. Or we may know, but just in due time. Well, our guy Tim Roth got Tim Roth, we do know, was cut from yeah. the movie. Uh, James Marsden. So maybe cut. there was like one scene that gives us anything. But I was upset because you really... There, it is a one-dimensional character, truly. Like it, it, by the definition of the world, there is like almost one thing we know about her, and that is that she is uh, pretty happy and an actress, and she was married to Roman Polanski. Which you could, I have, I have more thoughts, but they're all spoiler. You could, so you I'm could save my thoughts. Essentially, you could, you could look all that up and know it. Like it doesn't actually reveal anything about her character. That might be because of. Uh, the fact that she was real and Tarantino had to get the approval of her estate to uh, include her in the movie, but it seemed really thin to me. And the way that she fits into the movie uh, is about as thinly as she could fit into the movie. If you know her role in history, you know what I mean? Well, that's the thing is like, there's this underlying, the, 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 the main source of tension in the story comes from you going into this movie knowing who Sharon Tate is and what happened yeah. to her. Yeah, and does this movie work if you don't know anything don't, about the Manson? I don't think it's... I mean, it's I feel not, like everybody at least has some kind of outside knowledge of it, the Manson murders, but... The movie definitely works without that knowledge. What doesn't happen is you don't have this tension. There's there's no, there's no tension there. The movie can still work. You can still have a, a good time hanging out in this world with these characters. Yeah. But when you know who Sharon Tate is and what happened to her that that day, then you're waiting for it. You're waiting this whole movie <laughs> for it. And Quentin knows you're waiting for it. And the way that plays into how this story plays out, I thought was really elegant mm -hmm. uh, without giving anything away. Um I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna get into spoilers just yet, but but the gist of my thoughts off of your point are that when I was uh sitting in the theater watching those scenes with Margot Robbie, I was thinking like this is a great performance that she's giving, but I know where it's going. Like mm -hmm. uh, there I there is a little bit of tension there, but the tension is just from me sitting there knowing her fate and not really appreciating the fact that we're just seeing a woman just walk around yeah. on her day-to-day -day Yeah, so exactly. So speaking to that point, that's why I was upset that every scene with her almost seemed to be like a Save the Cat style scene where it's like, man, she seems really nice. What a bummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's what every scene with her seemed like to me. We didn't, there were no layers to it. It was just like, damn, she's just living her life. She don't know what I know. <laughs> like yeah. That was about it for her. Um, however, like you said, uh, you made a huge point that I wanted to say. Even when the movie meandered, even when I was feeling the length of it a little bit, the world is so uh, livable. It's so enveloping that it's – I forgive it. You know what the I mean? The details this are movie, meticulous. I wanted to buy a one-way ticket and just move to L.A. Yeah, after seeing exactly. this. I was like, man, this is like, yeah, some shit happens it, there. It, but, like, who cares? Yeah, I want to live it there. Just, it paints an incredible picture of this town at this time. You can tell – as with all of his movies, you can tell the immense love he has for film mm. uh, and for actors, as particularly yeah. the type of actor that Leo uh, portrays. Um you can just feel it. it. This movie is so full of love and reverence that even when it felt indulgent, uh, I'm looking at you foot scenes. 
uh, even when it <laughs> a felt lot of feet. A lot of feet. That was the whole purpose of putting that hippies is, in this movie. Was I just honestly so keep showing feet. It, he's Tarantino is one of the more surprising guys that did not get me tooed. <laughs> if I'm honest. Usually guys who are really outward I mean, with if their... You, if, I guess if you just keep it to feet, it's fine. Well, I mean... Uh, Unless you uh, run a Nickelodeon channels. <laughs> <laughs> we still don't know Looking the whole... Looking at you. Still don't know the whole Schneider story, Looking and I don't think Dan we ever Schneider. will, but I want to know. Um, anyway, the world is so lovely and so fun to be in that even when I was feeling length and even when I was feeling that scenes were dragging and it seemed like he needed someone to tell him to shorten it a little bit, even then... There, it's not like there was nothing to look at. There's I mean, always something to to like in the movie. I think th- there's moments when the Miranda meandering is absolutely glorious. Like there's yeah. a moment <laughs> where Brad Pitt is just speeding down the fucking road, blasting music with the windows oh, down. It's so I was good. like, I could watch this. Yeah, all day. Yeah, this could just this is the best B roll ever. Like right now, I'm just like, I can you give me a time machine yeah. so I can just go to 1969 it's, it's, there's Hollywood? A, there's another moment where we just see a bunch of neon signs turn on around of like all of uh. these different businesses and buildings, and I don't know. I feel like I feel like no other director would take the time to just put that in his movie yeah just a bunch of neon signs turning on and usually when a director does uh it doesn't look that good right (laughs) (laughs) like he's one of only a few guys that i can tolerate indulgence because he's good at it like that they can show the lights coming on at taco bell and you're like oh yeah cinema (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah or he can have like dialogue that you can tell he thinks is really good well i mean it is and but it is so it's like well i can't be mad there's a lot of there's a lot of things of this movie where it's it seems as though he, like, I mean, of course, Tarantino's done this before where he references not only other movies, but himself and, like, movies that he's made before where somebody will eat at, like, a big kahuna burger, like, as a reference to <laughs> Pulp yeah. Fiction. Like, that's a common thing in all of his movies that he has this kind of things. But it he played into it in the best kind of way of this whole old-school Hollywood meaning new-school Hollywood in a way where... It kind of killed who inspired him growing up watching like old kind of schlocky Western mm-hmm. TV shows to make way for Spielberg and Polanski and all these other like new wave cinema mm-hmm. guys. Unproblematic dudes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, Polanski's wife died, so, you know, it's all cool. He can <laughs> do whatever. Well, okay. Just edit this out. Whoa! <laughs> Flaming. I'm going right, to ignore, ignore part of that, but to that, <laughs> to that point, uh, can I spoil history, or is that... Well, can I spoil, like, let's, can, real let's life transition events? Well, we can, just, we can just spoil everything. We've already said our thoughts, so we can just get into spoilers. Yeah, let's just get okay, into spoilers. Before, before we get into spoilers... Rankings? I, I just Ratings. I just want to say that like this this movie it really d- is making me like r- think and grapple with my thoughts on it. Like mm-hmm. usually I go see a movie like fucking Lion King last week. Like I see it I'm like, "Oh, great, Lion King." Creativity's whatever. dead. <laughs> like, okay. You know, it doesn't make you really like sit there and and think about it and this movie is making me like really think about certain things and how i feel about it and what that means and what tarantino was trying to say and what uh how my my thoughts and feelings on it evolve and change the more i grapple with it so i really do appreciate that about it 
even though there are parts of the movie that I didn't think were that great in the moment mm-hmm. while in the theater, I, I got to admit that like, I wasn't a huge fan of some of the, some of the scenes, like without giving much away, there's, there's a moment uh, where Brad Pitt is at the, the ranch. Oh, oh, and, I'm going to go in on that scene. And it's, it might be my favorite scene of the entire it's, movie. It's a good scene, but there is this moment of tension that doesn't quite go where you'd expect it to go. It sort of just like fizzles a little bit and things like that, like aggravated me a little bit. And I, I, but now like looking back on it, I feel like Tarantino's kind of trying, trying to make a little bit of a statement about his own work and what people expect him to do mm-hmm. in, in the context of his work. So I think the movie works in a little bit in that sense, not, not a hundred percent in just like, how you think of Tarantino as a as a filmmaker, as an auteur, what you expect him to do, and how that and how this movie fits into that. I think it's not all about that. This is not a movie about Tarantino's movies. No, at it's, all. it's just about movies yeah, at large. Exactly. And 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 it, it sort of does end up in a place that I didn't think it was going to. And even though, like, through the thick of this movie, I wasn't quite vibing with it, by the time it got to the end and it was over and I started to really chew on what I had seen, it definitely it, – it, it grew on me and it is still growing on so me a lot. about this, I do want to say that I don't even think that this is necessarily just a movie about movies and about movie stars. I think that all this – a lot of it is just about – growing older that's why i like was thinking about jackie brown whenever thinking about this movie there's a line in jackie brown i'm gonna butcher the line but it's pretty much whenever she's sitting there in this interrogation type room and there's like oh so you're like 45 so like life didn't end up going the way that you thought it was going to go huh and it's like one of those things where she's just working as a flight attendant somewhere but everybody reaches that point this midlife crisis point where you're like oh yeah it's my dreams and aspirations are just gone now. Like, it's too late. I can't, like, pick up a new career at 45 and just, like, hop right into it. Where the same way where you can be trying to make it successful as a movie star, and eventually you just read that point where you're just like, oh, okay, I'm a has-been now. Like, now it's already over. There's one moment uh, in here where um, I need to find the girl's name, but the little girl who's in this movie, who is incredible. So good. And uh, they're reading this book that's about pretty much – spelling out like how uh how almost too much (laughs) i i I still i still enjoyed it it just because it comes off in such a well-written way but where leo's talking to this girl and he's just like yeah you know he starts like having this emotional breakdown she's just like oh i can't even imagine he's just like give it 15 years and i'll let you (laughs) and you'll be living it i feel like this is it's both quentin Quentin reflects himself in this character as well as Leo can project himself in this character. Where Leo's now at this point, he started as a child star. Like, we might not have another 20 years of Leo in us. Like, I hope that we do. I hope that he acts, I hope that he lives to be 100 and he's acting all the way up until we'll he dies. But <laughs> what if he just becomes is... like a day player on Law and Order because he just can't get roles <laughs> <He> anymore? Just... <laughs> He plays the heavy yeah. on any yeah, show. He's, he's like Jeremy Irons on that episode of SVU where he like rapes a kid. Oh my God. <laughs> no. like, man, you've fallen. <laughs> All right, yeah. any any final spoiler-free thoughts? Yes, I have a flaming take that I just thought of, and I'm so proud, and I'm so ready right now. Quentin Tarantino is the Kanye West of movies. 
and and okay. you, and I'm right. Okay. Explain further. No. No. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Is is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood his Life of Pablo? Yes, that's exactly where I was going because I personally am way higher on Life of Pablo than people at large seem to be. I would give that album like close to a nine. I love that album. But it's his least cohesive album, even counting the newest one. It's not very cohesive. This movie to me was Tarantino's least cohesive movie, which is funny to say because he has movies that are literally less cohesive. Like, literally, the characters are in different time periods and spaces. And it jumps around in yeah. the chronology. But yeah. in terms of, like, plot lines that should be connected and aren't this is his least cohesive movie you could call it indulgent just like people called life of pablo very indulgent you could call it a bit long just like life of pablo was uh also both guys are kind of assholes uh kanye more of the insane variety and quentin more of the asshole variety uh but you look at their discography and filmography respectively and you go jesus fucking christ bangers like holy like in ranking these movies you you're just thinking how is it possible that's how i feel whenever i forget about kanye for like a month and then i look at him on spotify and i'm like wait what (laughs) every album okay like there's just no way to discredit it so no matter how hateful eight is his yay is that what you're Uh, saying yes yes except in very different ways because yay is like too short and hateful is too long but yeah in the same way they're both just kind of washed that's not a bad take um i'm I mean, I enjoy Life of Pablo. I actually think that this album is very cohesive. That's why I I think movie 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 album. Um, (laughs) I think that this. I really do keep thinking like this is the most mature thing that Tarantino's ever made because there's actually there's ideas in here that can be applied to real life. Yeah. As opposed, like the only other thing the movie that he's driven into that to is Jackie Brown, where everything else, even like. Pulp Fiction, which might be his objectively quote unquote best movie, it's still just like a movie. Like it's not like that's your real life that you can like see. You're like, oh man, I'm such a Vincent Vega. <laughs> it's just like, oh okay, so you're a sociopath murderer. Okay, cool. <laughs> like there's there's so much to take out of this movie, whether you are in Hollywood in the Hollywood sphere yeah. or you're not. Especially where it ends up. Yeah, especially where it ends up, and and we'll we'll do this uh, this time to go into spoilers. So, what would you guys rate this movie? I'm honestly at like a nine. Um, when I saw it, I was like at a seven, eight. Yeah, I'm surprised. You came. We all saw this movie together, and you seem like you were the lowest out of all of us with it. I like I said, I just I wanted something that the movie just never was gonna be because Tarantino's like in his fifties, and he by his count, this is his second to last movie. So we'll I was kind that. of a crazy person thinking that he was going to go back to his old ways and give us something full of energy um, that he hasn't given us in a long time. I mean, granted, like Hateful Eight, Django and uh, Inglorious Bastards all have action and tension and drama and thrills in their own right, uh, but not like uh Pulp Fiction or uh, Kill Bill. So it's yeah. The I would call it less cohesive because the build of tension is so so slight, uh, and that did bother me because there was a way to add more that would not have disrupted anything in the movie. Like just one or two scenes, if we just displace that, include certain groups of people in the movie more and certain less, and we would have I think a better movie. But like I said, I'm close to a nine here. 
uh, even when it is a little frustrating. I can't call it his most mature movie because there's a, still a lot of, which I do love about Tarantino, there's a lot of like little kid fantasy in here, particularly at the end, obviously. Like a lot of like, oh, dude, what if like, what if it didn't happen that way? Like what if things were, you know, what if I had a machine gun, bro? I could probably kill you, like that type of deal. But I like that aspect of him. Uh, I just, a few things I wish he would he would tone down at this point in his career and he has jacked them a little bit up actually. But I, I loved watching this movie. I loved the experience of it. It felt cozy to me. Does that, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know what you mean. Um, I'm at like a strong nine on this movie. I really do. I think that this movie succeeds in almost every aspect. There are nits that I would pick with this movie, but otherwise like, this movie is so deeply rewatchable, like a lot of Tarantino movies, but like, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and then I had to go. I was like, okay, cool. We aren't potting until 4 o'clock today. I have time to go catch the 1245 showing for this movie. Like, I was like, I have to see this movie again. And every time I – now, two different times, I've gotten different things out of the movie each time that I see it. Um, This might be his most accessible movie in a way, um, Mm. just because it's it's not as – If you don't – my take on that is, like, if you don't know – what he's capable of yes well if you don't if you don't no, have yeah a pre- if you're just like notion. if this is your first time an alien is dropped on here and you're like oh, i want to show you this filmmaker tarantino i might start with this one over something like uh even something like pulp fiction or reservoir dogs because you that's it's it, it can turn people off certain yeah. types of people also well also length definitely turns people off yeah this is so no. long it's long but i okay let's transition to spoilers so yeah if you haven't seen it there's some things some third act stuff that you don't want to know you don't want to be spoiled so please go, go see, see this it. movie Go see the support original filmmakers, and then come back and and listen, or skip ahead to our uh, ranking if uh, if you want. Uh, all right, so spoilers for Once Upon a Time, dot dot dot, in Hollywood. What? Starting now. What? So okay, so I wanted to talk about my thought on Sharon Tate's character, and then that'll lead into the the finale of this movie. Um, so on first viewing. I really just kind of viewed Sharon Tate's character as just a pure red herring. And in a lot of ways, it's what she is. Like, you see her and you're like, man, things are not going to go well for her. So mm-hmm. you're just like watching it. It's filled with tension. And then that tension gets dissolved in a creative way. After rewatching it, I really, I love the scene of her at the movies. Because that's such a Tarantino thing where she's just like, oh, my movie is playing here. I'm going to go in here and watch. And it's not even that she's just watching herself. She's watching other people around her to see how they enjoy the movie. Do they laugh at the lines that she delivers? Do they applaud whenever she's able to beat the big bad guy? Like, that's such a movie thing that it it felt very personal to me. That that's something that Tarantino would do. That he's just like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm in Michigan this week. Let me just pop into the screening just to see gauge what the reaction to this movie is feet on the <laughs> yeah <laughs> i honestly like it did bother me in this movie the feet like it's just a it's guy a lot of it, well he just simply was putting his fetish I, all over well it's i, think, I feel like that that's okay? a, that's a very meta thing where he just sees all the blog talks and everything that yeah. just like tarantino has a thing he's just like oh you thought that that oh, was a lot of feet you thought i was horny then <laughs> now i'm super horny and it's an underage character and i'm showing her feet a lot like that i don't know it's just like i mean there are plenty of things in this movie that like 
the thing is i've never gone to a tarantino movie for unproblematicness so it's not like it, it was a, a conflict of interest you know uh but i just it, like it got on to me it was like i don't need to see so many feet like it's i don't know i mean there's a lot of other feet stuff in his other movies oh, yeah, that are of way course. more egregious than what we got here. Well, yeah, but there are also plenty that, like, there are feet, but not, like, a, a lot. Of I mean, feet. think about Pulp Fiction, the whole thing with, uh, um, what's his name? With uh, uh, the, the main, the boss guy, where he oh, kills. Yeah, with Marcellus, that he kills a guy because she gave, yeah. he gave his wife a foot massage yeah. and stuff like Like, that's always I mean, been a thing. Also, from Dusseldani just, like, literally yeah. drinks off of, uh, what's her name? <laughs> Selma, Hayek. Selma Hayek's foot. <laughs> He wrote it into a movie. <laughs> he licks him the doing shit it out of her yeah. feet. Anyway, that's that's not all we're here to talk about. Um, so that is an interesting. Like it does, she makes sense in the movie, but it also bothered me in terms of. Uh, it reminded me a lot of how Aaron Sorkin can sometimes treat women, like in Molly's Game, where the the main things you learn about the the woman you learn from people talking about them where it'd be like hey because she she doesn't have like any she doesn't say anything but it's yeah. yeah it'll just be like hey let me tell you something about that that chick over there and it's just like what i don't know what but if, I, what I, if we just learned anything about her instead well but it, this do, isn't a movie about sharon tate like molly's oh, game is literally her name is in the title of the movie and you don't learn anything about well, her this is a, like this is very much a movie about rick dalton this like struggling actors falling out of fame and also he just happens to live next to sharon tate yeah which is the that's the thing is like if not for history she would be 100 percent pointless in the movie so like it's almost like she was just required to be in it and he was like well what should she do i don't know see a movie like uh drive around walk around with a mini skirt like anything any layer of depth i would have appreciated because we know he's capable of it is what i'm saying well see the the thing that uh, well going back to to the the movie theater scene i i do think that scene is great uh just because of her performance yeah uh because she's absolutely yeah, magnificent she's an amazing with, actress. but with no lines and then that's the thing that bothered me the fact that like we don't really get to know Sharon Tate. We see her a lot in the movie. We we go to the Playboy Mansion with her. We see her just hanging out in her house listening to music. We get to see her being a person, but we don't get to know her as a person. And I kept thinking about like when this movie was first announced, it was announced as Quentin Tarantino's making a movie about the Manson murders. Yeah. Like that's how it was announced. And then by the time like Leo was cast and Brad Pitt, uh, and then obviously Margot Robbie was cast as Sharon Tate, uh, it started to kind of come together that like the Manson murders, Sharon Tate would be a piece of the movie, but it wasn't going to be about that. And so I think that this movie, it feels like there's two stories playing out, one about what we know about Sharon Tate and how she was murdered in her home and this historical piece. And then everything else that happens with Brad Pitt and um, Leo, that is the main movie. And then this other historical piece yeah, is like attached to it. That, that's exactly what I meant earlier. And, yeah. and there are times when I feel like we didn't need the historical part in order to have a good movie. It's, but yeah. but by the time we get to the end of the movie and this big shift from where we thought it was going to go, where these murderers don't murder Sharon Tate and they get murdered, 
So the people that 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 killed Sharon Tate, Quentin Tarantino kills them. He pulls an Adolf Hitler <laughs> yeah. in Inglorious Bastards. He gets, rewrites the history. He get he lets those people have what they yeah. fucking deserve. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even though in in the in the middle chunk of the movie, I was just like, okay. Tarantino, we're here for a Tarantino movie. We know this movie's about the fucking <laughs> murder of Sharon Tate. Like, come on, let's let's get to it. And then we never get to it because he doesn't allow that to happen. So it recontextualizes all those scenes with Sharon Tate as kind of these really beautiful moments of a woman just living her life because Sharon Tate will forever be known as the woman who was murdered yeah she'll never be known as an actress as the as not murdered by charles manson but you know his his peeps his cronies that's what we know her as that's what will everyone will always know her as so i think it's kind of it's what i was trying to get at before is that it's actually really touching and beautiful that this movie gives her a different life and that's lets why, her live that's why i've come around on it so much i think that this is i said it to you guys after the movie that this is a perfectly titled movie once upon a time dot 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 in hollywood like it's literally evokes a fairy tale like this is literally yeah. like what if she gets her happily ever after yeah what if instead of the manson family coming in there and killing them like what if she happened to have this old, like, washed-up cowboy living next door to her, and he happened to, like, evoke them enough to distract them from the murders ever happening that they stopped there first. And his stunt double, who's an ultimate bona fide badass, is, and happens to be there, and his dog is oh, over there. Like, the that's goodest just, boy of the year. Oh, best girl of the year. Brandy is Brandy is a beautiful dog. She's a, she's a fine girl. What a good she's, wife she would yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we, we can drop it after this, but uh, it's just that that is the ultimate thing to take away is they it was a truly respectful uh, like love letter to actors and cinema as a whole, all the Sharon Tate stuff. Uh, my issue was that the rest of the movie is also a very respectful, beautiful love letter to actors and film while also having other stuff happening that involves yeah. conflict in any way. And so even- it just it just felt like less than when it didn't necessarily have to be. I just feel like there was a way to make it better. Unlike the rest of the movie, with it like everything involving Leo, I thought was a 10 out of 10. I think almost literally every scene with Leo is a 10. Like he totally is, agree. Uh, yeah. He's <laughs> dialed Dude, the fuck in. The trailer scene <laughs> is like one of the best scenes of the year by well, far. Okay. I think that that might be the best scene of the year. Just that whole moment. Cause the it's freak so out is the freak out. So good. And there's like, an arc to the freak out itself, <laughs> which is so good. He's just like beating himself up and everything else. And he's just like, you had eight whiskey sours. You could have just had three or four. Oh. And just, he kept doing that. He's just like, you were never drinking again. And it like cuts back. I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Dude. And then he grabs the bottle and just unknowingly just <laughs> takes a shot of it and then just throws it out. His he, so it's so good. We, it's so good. This I had to talk about this because we've only seen it a few times. But Leo is so fucking funny. I guess he was on a sitcom as a kid. Yeah. A very broad one at that. But uh, in Wolf of Wall Street, when he's on the on the lewds, the, the physical comedy of him like in the Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. All time scene. Truly hilarious. This was one of the funniest scenes of the year easily. And it's because of him. And not only that scene, when he is uh, like before that, when he is in the Western, 
the way he oscillates throughout all those sequences between being an amazing actor and then fucking up his line and then going like way overacting to make up for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that was funny. And it plays exactly. It plays very humorously, but he's but it's, not. It's do- tragic. He's not doing it. His acting is not meant to be comical. Well, and that's he's why it's very is, sincere. Yeah, that's why serious. it is funny because dramatic actors, like, and when they go on SNL, they go too hard because they think that's what comedy is. And no, comedy is just honesty, and that's what he does. He goes full on honest. What is the way that this character? It would be true to the character to overact after fucking up, but it would also be very funny if he did it the way Leo yeah. does it, where his eyes are just bulging out of his skull and he's red face, like unbelievably. I, good. I love Cliff Booth. I love Brad Pitt in this movie. He gets some truly excellent moments, but Leo is the MVP yeah. because of what you just said. Oh, he's so because good, man. he he is this rock that grounds the movie in this this melancholic tragedy of yes. this man who aspires to be yeah. a fucking star he's, and he is just not there yeah, and he's won't just be there and he's like really just realizing that he's a has-been mm-hmm. and it's brutal to watch and we get that i mean backtracking we get that funny scene with uh pacino just thrown into the movie yeah for like two scenes and and tarantino we, makes it so that scene we get to see like Pacino putting on the film in his house, like breaking yeah. the, the such the a Tarantino moment out of the shell. Is there like anything loading that it into this, the... this dude Quentin likes some movies? No, okay. So to that point, though, because that's a one thing that I wanted to bring up is this is such an amazing repurposing of old footage into oh, yeah, like the there's Steve the whole McQueen. thing with the great the great escape a classic steve mcqueen movie that they put leo in the steve mcqueen role great. and it looks so good it looks like he was in this movie <laughs> it looks like they yeah. shot footage well, with that's, him. that's another big time it's, film nerd thing because the the other guy who like is super into remastering is peter uh jackson right yeah and he does it like pro bono with like World War One footage or whatever. It's, Scorsese too. Yeah, guys yeah. just like being a like film guys um, just like being around. Spielberg, film. Ready Player One. Jesus Christ! <laughs> this this <laughs> that was why I wanted to bring it up. It was just so I could talk about Ready Player this, One. This remind what you just said reminds me of something I was going to say earlier though, which is um, the Playboy scene, the Playboy Mansion scene. I that kind of bothered me a little bit because. Like yes, it is nice to see Sharon Tate just having fun, just dancing, just being the the carefree woman she was but it's like it it felt a little bit uh too much to be like oh we got uh dude from billions as steve mcqueen isn't that neat okay yeah, don't, well, first okay, of all so... do not call him dude from billions is damian lewis yeah okay. damian lewis aka tiny mouth steve mcqueen yeah uh, <laughs> so that Does I, he look you just did like bring, Steve McQueen? I, he looks not, he looks, he looks like Steve McQueen and Steve McQueen was like 70 no, when he's supposed to be playing a 30-year-old well, Steve McQueen. The, no, it actually just felt unnecessary. He's in his 40s. He just is not aging well. No. Uh, uh but if you did cast Steve McQueen, you would go with Damian Lewis, I do think. He like, does he, look he still has but, the, he has the swagger too that yeah, Steve McQueen I, had. I get being bothered by that. In the theater, I had this like deliberation in my head. I was like, it does this bother me? And I ended up deciding no, actually, because uh partially because it was enjoyable nevertheless like it, it's not like they played these pivotal roles where it's like yeah, a, it just gets one line yeah it wasn't a one, biopic yeah, of anyone at least like i'm really glad that leo for example was not playing an actual washed up yes. actor like i'm mm. really happy about that 
I you did say the the Playboy scene. I will say I think is my least favorite scene of the entire movie, just because it is. There is that one moment uh, where Steve McQueen is just like, "Let me tell you a story." Let me. This girl some, yeah. used to be married. Let me dump to this some guy. exposition. And then, of, of, on yeah, you. and <laughs> it was just like that. Was like ah, I don't love that as much. Clunky. To go back a little bit though, um, to my boy Cliff Booth. The Mm -hmm. shot, whenever he takes his shirt off on top of the roof, and then we get the flashback Uh, to him. I'm having a hot flash Well, let's hold there first before you move away from that, because he takes off that shirt, and I kept waiting for it to cut away and we just we just hold the, the <laughs> shot just stand, holds stand there. up Brad Pitt it's like yeah he's and got he's, fucking eight pack he's yeah, so he's, old he's how does he do it he's just standing there with his shirt off on the I've roof I've never and I'm felt like, worse about my body I in know. my entire life because like, like the what, thing is, we could else? all we could all work out every day and we would not look like that sometimes proportions are just in your genes he just looks good and I hate him <laughs> because I also like him and I but don't I want love him well, so much it, it also informs the story and the themes too right because Brad Pitt is a movie star, yeah, and this this movie is about stardom and about Hollywood, and it's like the fact that the the shot holds on his abs for so long is it plays into that idea of like you see this, folks, this is a dying breed right here. Yeah. The white man is losing <laughs> in Hollywood. He needs to beat up Bruce Lee. So okay, so. <laughs> Flashback, and then young people. Is to... Quentin Tarantino a Trump supporter? I oh god, would you be um, surprised? This goes back to my Kanye comparison. Oh, no. would you be shocked? I would. If you had any actually. opinion, would you be shocked? No, because like think about the way hippies are depicted yeah. in this movie. They're like youth. evil zombie. The youth creatures. are bad. <laughs> the youth suck. Okay, so we're gonna. I'm gonna transition. We'll get back to that whole thing whenever I talk about the uh, yeah. the the farm scene, um, yeah. the ranch scene. But so the way it was such a Tarantino for a movie that's been very linear to have a flashback, and then within that flashback, have a further flashback to him killing his wife. Wow, maybe or maybe not killing his he wife. Killed his wife. <laughs> that's such as it's like this likable guy but yeah like he probably killed his wife so it makes sense but i love the whole sequence uh of him fighting bruce lee mike moe playing bruce lee perfectly embodies bruce lee like the actual aesthetic that bruce lee has nice long shot too yeah great long long shot Uh, and to them, like, actually having a fighting sequence, yeah. which Brad Pitt actually did because... Yeah, it looked great. He, yeah, he actually, like, did the, all of those yeah. things. The depiction of Bruce Lee, was he like that? Every, I doubt it. I have only ever I heard the best it. things about him. Yeah, no, but Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee is a very, like, he's... The thing is that Bruce Lee isn't cocky. He's very confident. Exactly. Though. He's not a guy who would actually say that. Uh, I don't. He. I do kind of think that he would be like, yeah, if you put me in a ring with Cassius Clay, like I'd fuck I don't, him up. I don't think that he would be on the set of a movie just saying. I think maybe if you asked him, but he's just he rambling brag- about how bragging, great he is. Yeah. Like, like I said, I haven't researched enough about the dude. But to me, a movie that's so respectful toward other actors and actresses, and then it should be like, yeah, Bruce Lee sucked. He deserved to get beat up. <laughs> I like, but I don't take I never took it as that. I took it as it was just like he's like out there just being like, Yeah, I mean, I have my own show now, the Green well, Hornet. Like this is my show because like I'm a bona fide badass. Yeah, it's, and it's, then there's just this white stump man coming in here talking shit. So he's like, Oh, okay, I'm gonna have to fuck you up now. It's it's a negative portrayal. 
I, it, it is. I, I didn't know. Yeah, you don't leave thinking is. he was good. You leave it, thinking he it's sucked. Definitely, and... It definitely is negative to Bruce Lee, but it's also character development for Cliff Booth because we have to set up that he's a physical force a for what master. happens Yeah, that's, at the end. that was the ultimate purpose of it. It just kind of made me laugh like, you're, wow, Bruce so, Lee is just getting shit on. Like, quick, dunk on him. Quick little uh, Tarantino-ism in this moment that the, uh, the stunt coordinator is Zoe Kurt Bell. Russell. Oh yeah, and then Kurt Russell's wife in, is Zoe Bell from to Death, Death Proof, Proof oh. reuniting the Death Proof crew. So good. Yeah, I, I did love that. Was probably my favorite Tarantino moment yeah. that was in there. Also, yeah. just having Bruce Lee, well, not actual Bruce Lee, the guy, but the guy did look like him. But having Bruce Lee in the movie is also a Tarantinoism because of Kill Bill. Yeah, Kill Bill. He's, like the whole martial he's, arts yeah, thing. He's clearly obsessed with that. And whole... the yellow suit. F- that the bride wears is like basically a, a Bruce yeah, Lee costume. Is. Yeah. Um. So, moving from that point, I did want I I gotta talk about the ranch scene because yeah. I know you said that you didn't love it as much. Um, I I thought it had good moments, but that's when I was like on the edge of my seat, like, oh, here we go, shit's about to get fucking brutal, <laughs> and it just doesn't, and it kind of disappointed me, but. It does inform that point that I was making about how this is a different movie from what you're expecting. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I love that scene so much, especially upon a rewatch of it, because the thing that's genius about that is this is the best Brad Pitt performance in any scene because he comes in there and Cliff Booth is just like a cool guy. He's just like a chill. He's just one of the guys. But... Everybody else sees it and they're just like, man, you're really cool hanging out with us. Like, you must want to join our cult. Like, and that's it works in this double meaning where he's just there, like, hanging yeah. out and then he's just like, yeah, I so let me see my old buddy. I was going to for a second. Oh, wouldn't that be great? I was like, is this where this movie's going to go? Like, he just holy has shit. like 20 kids with Lena Dunham. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, but I did like, I love how that scene works on two levels. And then whenever it's kind of he reveals that he's just like, yeah, I'm not going to join your fucking hippie cult. I just want to make sure that, like, my old friend who used to live here is, like, alive and consents to having 50 fucking hippies living on his property with him. And I love the scene with, uh, it's Bruce Dern who plays the, oh, the yeah. guy, right? Yeah. I love that scene with him because he's just, like, an old man who's just alone. And he's just, like, yeah. Blind as fuck. He's just, like, yeah, I, I don't know what she looks like, but, like, she fucks me. Yeah, he's, so. like, they might as well be here. Like, yeah, like, I can't see anything anyway. She, she so. looks like Dakota Fanning. The, yeah. I actually did not know that. I didn't realize that was Dakota Fanning while watching this. She was great. She was. Um, she was very good. I mean, I Margot lo- Qualley, our girl from Leftovers. We got to talk about her. Um, I thought she was and one of the feet. best. One of the best parts of the movie. She's uh, a great actress because she's our. Yeah, she really is. She's our uh, kind of catalyst uh, to the getting to know this this group of um, of hippies, and it. She's very endearing. You know, she she has this like very attractive charismatic quality to her so it's almost like tarantino is like masking the fact that these that the depiction of these hippies is is very like negative well you she know? also like, seems negative like force she seems more of the like she seems closer to normal than a lot of the other yeah. hippies that are in there that we later meet. Like they're essentially zombies. Yeah, yeah they yeah. are like zombies. Yeah. And then like thinking about the dude who ends up putting a knife in his tire, who's just like so fried <laughs> that he's just like <laughs> laughing at everything. And then yeah. we just we have a great moment where just 
Brad just beats the shit out of that this was dude. So good. It was yeah. so like I just I love that whole scene, and I loved that the tension didn't explode in that moment. It was a horror movie thing where before we get the big jump scare, you have to have the diffusal of tension, which yeah. is something that's always lacking in Tarantino movies. Restraint is never something that Tarantino has been known for, <laughs> and he actually shows restraint You're at right. multiple yeah. points in this movie. No, the, I think in the whole movie, to be honest with you, yeah. until we get to the yeah. very very well, end. Well, I I like that nothing happened in that scene however what did bother me is that after that scene the plots did not interweave at all until the night because that's what i was i was like well yeah. i guess we don't see uh manson well, yeah what did they think are a bunch of like hippies going to go to his house and beat him up no they just saw him like literally almost beat a dude to death it's oh, not I like know. they're gonna go try and confront him now. no i know that but i was there are just ways to like throw in one scene that makes these two storylines interact beyond once because after that scene i was like well guess we'll see him later and then we do and that's not what tension is that's not you know tension like in inglorious bastards these different plot lines are disconnected but yet so connected through the art of tension like even if they don't know each other we know that they are going to meet and it's not in like a throwaway way of like yeah they're separate now it's like we we go back and forth between them and then they meet i guess i guess what i was expecting what i wanted is for the arc of of tension to be a little bit more oscillating, you know, to have the tension build and culminate in something that's before what I'm it talking builds about. again. Yeah. And it, exactly, because that's how it is in, in Bastards. Yeah, it's and not like one big tension ball. It's just like there is more. Yeah, and but that, in this be- movie, yeah. it just takes up the whole movie and we don't get that release until the very, yeah. very end. Uh, and before we get to the very end, I just wanted to do a couple more shout outs. Uh, Scoot McNary is in this. Yo, movie. our guy Scoot. Scoot. He made it into the pilot of a Western TV show, Lancer, which actually ran on TV. He gets shot. I don't know about you guys, but I actually tried him. to go home and watch Lancer on YouTube. And it is not good. Um, there's no dynamic camera work that we see in how this movie, how this show is shot. But, hey, he does a great job. Yeah. Um, Timothy Oliphant. Timothy hey, Oliphant's Timothy great. Oliphant, I was, yeah. yeah, I was surprised that he got like a pretty heavy speaking role. Like yeah. he's in a decent. Timothy show. Oliphant is a great actor. I like the guy. Also, that scene, it, there's some like weird editing, some like jumpy cuts in yeah that. Oh, reminded me I of death that. proof yeah yeah how the the quote-unquote like mistakes yeah you know i mean like, that's yeah that's what i'm talking about but, in terms of i can talk shit about story all i want but man there are strokes of goddamn genius everywhere you look well and the way that i took that whole because it only really happens like one time with his character wherever he's there he has no hat on he has a hat on stuff is it showing the passage of time from leo's perspective where leo's just like I'm just like this aging star and I have this young up and comer who's just over here like giving me my own story like yeah I saw you in that one movie and now I'm getting my big break and I'm gonna beat yeah. you up now and yeah I, I truly love that like I love a jump cut I love a non sequitur like I any of that stuff when done well is amazing I've been watching season one of Big Little Lies yeah That's a testament to the exact same thing there's plenty of each of those techniques I I also love the fact that like the bulk of this movie just plays out in just a few days like we just get to see like a whole day play out and then it's like another day uh, but then we get a big jump cut or uh, time jump six month uh time jump and the voiceover that kind of catches us up i thought was maybe a little bit the Kurt lazy Russell yeah I, it was nice to hear his voice but <laughs> i was like oh man like all of this kind of catch-up voiceover i 
I could do without as much. I wasn't a big fan of that. I didn't but, mind it because it's like 45 seconds. Yeah. It's like literally just like, yeah, so he went, He they after having this one night where they sit and watch uh, TV together, they do his whole thing. He's just like, yeah, I need to get the money. So then he just goes, does spaghetti westerns. Yeah, Another back, big tribute to Tarantino movies. Tarantino yeah. very obviously influenced by the oh, spaghetti yeah. western well, genre. I, I also like the that whole section because it was like a little stylized break from the movie while still being integral to the whole movie. But mm-hmm. it, it, w- it came at a point in the movie when I was starting to feel runtime. And that sped it up for me. That yeah. made me that reinvigorated it because it was a different format of a movie entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to the big day, which is I think August sixth, nineteen sixty nine, which is by many accounts the day that the sixties abruptly ended. Yeah, in our reality. But not in the Tarantino verse. And there's a whole, we could probably do a whole podcast about like what that even means, the Tarantino verse. And like <laughs> all of the fact that like this is a reality where Hitler was murdered by a bunch of Jews. Yeah. Oh, do you think oh, that it carries? Yeah. There's I think a that, whole, there's yeah, a I mean, whole like, uh, uh, theory you know field of of, of yeah cinematic it's like the study. pixar universe thing with the tarantino verse where it's something that he'll never actually confirm but with all of the things that are linked together in his movies yeah. that you know that's the thing there so the night starts with our our new wife francesca is asleep um another woman that doesn't really get anything to do in a tarantino movie yeah man. but fucking brad pitt just doing acid smoking the acid tip cigarette um so good and then just some uh, then the hippies actually show up to the house like scouting it out and we have some great leo work there after they go get blackout drunk together i did love that moment uh the voiceover where there's like they do what two people do that are closer than brothers but not quite as close as wives where their best thing that they can do together is just get blackout drunk together and that's like very much just it seems very real because it's not like two dudes especially in a tarantino movie are gonna like break down about how much they love each other and how Mm -hmm. much they mean to each other so it's just it seems like only appropriate that they just get blackout drunk together it's a bittersweet goodbye (laughs) leo comes outside hears the terrible ass muffler on the car going and that ignites this whole night that's yeah, going he on. goes out there holding the blender still with like the pina colada stuff oh if it. i can backtrack a little bit because we're about to talk about brandy the dog the first scene where we have brad driving home and he goes to his like trailer that he lives in and is methodically pulling out like the wolf food for his dog yeah. and sloshing <laughs> in there such a beautiful scene like that was just such a quiet moment yeah, that i really needed like too. three minutes of just brad pitt just <laughs> pouring dog food in a bowl and then yeah. making crap and then it, and gets, for it gets called back in in the later scene where he's he's doing it again but this time on acid, on oh. acid. by the way that it's... that moment where it hits him was very relatable yeah to, to my experiences with soylent yeah which is a whole different thing when but... he's like waving his hand well no <laughs> or even just the moment where he gets out the can opener and he's looking at it like like, yeah. What the fuck am I? <laughs> yeah, he just starts I, twisting it around. You really like, do just forget how to use anything. He turns the <laughs> light on and he's like, ah! He like cowers from the very, light. Yeah, very good comedy with that. Uh, he owns this scene. I would give him an Oscar nomination just, just for, for that scene, scene yeah. alone. Yeah, and well, and this is another thing that uh, Tarantino is good at with using Brad Pitt. Not only is he just extremely cool, it's like, 
yo, I bet if Brad Pitt was there with a machine gun when Hitler was there, I bet like Hitler would have died. You know, like or I bet if Brad Pitt would, I bet he would have stopped the Manson murders even if he was on acid. Like that dude is so badass. <laughs> yeah. It's but I mean, just I love that old thing where he's just tripping balls, and then the Manson family is breaks into the house, and he just like stay. He's like too fucked up to realize yeah. the gravity of the situation like, that's happening real? are you real i'm as real as a donut they <laughs> <laughs> start laughing phrases. Just, yeah. phrases that we all use yeah. i just i love that old moment um, did, and then did you guys into... talk sorry did you guys talk about austin butler while i was gone no Tex. No. um i'm not gonna i mean he doesn't do a ton in the movie he's the guy who's gonna be elvis yeah right? i wasn't it's not like he really stole any scenes for me i don't think he did bad but yes this kid is going to be elvis what do we think of that We'll see. The th- he's fine. So, he, he's very menacing in, in face- some moments. Well, facially, if you take off the beard and like the tired eyes that he has in this movie, he does look more like Elvis than the other candidates. It's just he's very meek. He's like small. And Elvis was like larger than yeah. life. Uh, so that's a question moving forward. Anyway, uh, if if while I was just peeing, you guys said anything problematic, I want the audience <laughs> to know that I wasn't here to stop you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, well, we did. Well, this, this whole kind of... Uh, third act ruckus of violence was exactly what i wanted and maybe maybe that's a bad thing that (laughs) i like i wanted this so badly that it made it so i didn't appreciate the rest of the movie as much and that's kind of why i want to rewatch it because now i know what the movie's actually like actually is like and i can kind of appreciate it more for what it is but once it starts to get to this point where shit is going down dog is like ripping limbs so well done so well shot this whole the whole dynamic where as soon as he does it and like the dog attacks and then this woman comes charging towards him with a knife and he just like revs up like he's in fucking like he is a pitcher in Moneyball and just (laughs) nails her in the face and Uh all the screaming like I love this is the ultimate overacting award goes to uh, I I don't know what her name is the the Asian girl who comes in and attacks there because she's just screaming the whole time Well, you gotta you gotta know that like even though um What's her name? Maya. Maya, Maya Hawk. Hawk. She drives away. She bails. <laughs> they're all on drugs. Like, they're all probably tripping out By on the way, something. Has anyone acted more sketch than Maya Hawk <laughs> before, <laughs> yeah. before she bailed? Like, has anyone acted more like they were going to bail? Yeah, Maya Hawk was just like, yeah, now this girl is not into she, it. Yeah, she's like, uh, yeah, guys, I'll uh, catch up with you in a minute. <laughs> and then he gives her knife. the keys, and she's like, oh, uh, right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I need these. Uh. <laughs> That cracked me up. I was like, I wonder if she's going to leave. (laughs) (laughs) So they're all fucked up. And, you know, when she is completely dismembered, disfigured by the dog, she's running around like crazy. Breaks through the window into the pool. While Leo's just been chilling, just <laughs> sipping on his margarita. Yeah, and By the way, what shit. is the mixed drink that he makes, not earlier on the movie, where it looks like a margarita, but he puts raw egg in it? Ew. Yeah, no, I like paid attention to that whenever I was yeah. just in my second watch, and I'm like, what the fuck? There's no drink that involves two raw eggs man. in there. No, there is. Well, I think he was only using the whites. He was like filtering out the yolk. Oh, uh, And okay, there are drinks that still that have egg I thought that just, there was just yolk in well, there. I was like, that is gross. The, the difference is nowadays it's cooked because you <laughs> would go to jail if you served a drink that was right. <laughs> salmonella. <laughs> but there's still cocktails like that. They're just like old man gross cocktails. So Leo goes to a shed. Yes. And he pulls out and what do the you know? same flamethrower. Flame man, callbacks. 
from the uh I guess like 16. Inglorious Bastards ripoff <laughs> movie yeah. that he was By in. the way, Inglorious Bastards 2 looks amazing. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> and he torches this girl yeah. in the pool so and the whole theater is just like yes. It just has the ovation. One of the best like audience reactions, even seeing it a second time today, I will say um people kind of I could feel my theater kind of turning a little bit on this movie at multiple points, especially because I saw it with an older crowd. Mm. Um, but there was still just a huge ovation whenever that moment happens. Yeah. Where my audience turned the crowd, specifically with the people next to me, uh, whereas she was just like, oh, okay, so they just faked the ending. Okay, well, that that sucked. <laughs> It was like, have you what never you seen want? a Tarantino movie before? What like, do you what? fucking want? <laughs> She's just like, yeah, kill that Margot Robbie bitch. Oh yeah. That's that's what you wanted from I this? Actually, what are you, what's wrong with you? I kept thinking that like Leo and Brad were going to die. That's what I kept thinking. And like, I kept thinking about that moment in Burn After Reading when Brad Pitt gets shot in the face. And I was like, oh shit, we're going to get well, a Well, I thought that he was going to die too, but I, and I kind of wanted him to die in that scene, like protecting his boss and his house as yeah. well as himself but then that led after he torched her and the cops show up like the best one of the best like whole moments in the whole movie is just when we're just like you're a good friend like it was just this yeah. moment of we didn't even have to see like the whole i mean we saw like a little part of it that this talk of just being like yeah you know i'm moving out of the hills and I'm going to get a condo with my new wife and everything, so I can't afford to have you anymore. But we've still, like, despite them almost being separated the entire movie, we can feel the bond that they have, which goes to yeah. just a credit to them as good of actors as yeah. they are. What's uh, funny about this movie is, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I might be, but isn't Rick Dalton, like, kind of a good guy? Like, does he do anything as bad as killing his wife? <laughs> No, no, he's he doesn't. A, yeah, he's, he's a little bit like he's he, an alcoholic. Of course, he drives drunk, but they all did back then. Yeah, yeah. but like that—that's funny. Well, that, he got his license taken away because he drove drunk like ten times. So. Yeah, yeah, of course, that was like the norm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think I think he's like the hero of the story. Yeah, you know, we're meant to sympathize it's, it's, with him. We're meant to root for yeah, him. Yeah, it's nearly—it's almost rare that you get someone as unproblematic as Rick Dalton is in this movie in yeah. a Tarantino movie. Like Tarantino yeah. usually is just all bad dudes, all anti anti-heroes. Yeah, and he still is somewhat of an anti-hero, but he's mostly just like pitiful. Well, yeah, you know? it's, like, it's, it his makes arc the, is sad. It makes the ending very beautiful because, you know, obviously like Sharon Tate lives. And he gets invited up to his house, which it, it's like this gated home that's a little bit higher, literally higher up than his. So there's this like uh, kind of understood hierarchy there mm. that he's not worthy of ascending to it until the very moment that he is invited Yeah, uh, by Emil Hirsch, who <laughs> do we probably wanna, shouldn't, do we be, shouldn't do, be in this movie. Do we want to do a quick 30 minutes on Emil? <laughs> <laughs> Emil Hirsch? He, yeah, I? he's a wife beater, I think, or something like that. He? He's not a he's not a great guy. Is um, he a wife beater in the movie? Yeah. No, no, no. The, not in the movie. In no, real life? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's like a horrible person. But oh, well, so is Laura Dern, though. So, or not Laura Dern. Uh, so is No, not Bruce Dern. Um, uh, uh, Those are the only two Derns. Um, you know, uh, the... Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> Just come back. Christian skip Bale? Skip, skip over here. So, yeah, so he, he has this talk with him, and basically, like, it pays off that moment at the very beginning where he sees Sharon Tate with Roman Polanski, and he's like, wow, that's Roman fucking Polanski. He lives next to me. Oh, my God. And then at the end, 
he is talking to Sharon in the on the intercom, and she's like, "Oh my God, it's Rick Dalton! Like, I love Rick Dalton. Yeah, you're great." And it's just this moment where Lena Dunham. Sorry, sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Sorry, she's, she's not she's, she's, She yeah, she just says myself. every time. Well, she also has a she did she did rape her sister, and it's just oh, like oh that's fine. Fuck, that's right. Yeah, yeah. When, whenever <laughs> so she not get, cool. Whenever she gets the chance to voluntarily say some dumb shit, she, <laughs> she, she takes it. It's really bizarre. It. I've never seen someone do yeah. that. Usually, you get like someone outs you. She just was like, yeah, I did this. I <laughs> I I thought girls is is. Pretty pretty good, but I wasn't a huge well, fan of seeing her in this movie. She is she's very talented. That was never the question. It's just that she's so annoying and so uh, not not good. not good. Yeah, not not a good person. But anyway, my my whole point about this ending is that it it does end on this really tender, heartfelt note where Leo, uh, Rick Dalton, he he kind of made it. Well, so know? do you think he, is that the feature? Is he gonna be in Polanski okay. movies? I don't think that's necessarily what the movie is trying to say. It's more about like, so let's let's take a, a minute to kind of think about Leo's character in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. He's not, he hasn't found the success that he wanted. He's doing all these roles that he doesn't really feel and in, truly invested in. You could make the argument that like he's not that great of an actor because he is a fucking alcoholic. Well, and according he to that one lines. girl, she gave the best performance um, ever well here's so. the thing when he is dialed in in that scene when she says that was the best acting i've ever seen that was the best acting i've ever seen yeah, <laughs> that's amazing like he's capable yeah. of amazing he things. does a triple yeah. alliteration he's just never improv. had a role where he could do that really right. you know he, he Django. was in a, Django is the closest no, thing of no, his freak no no no, 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 no not leo oh, you're talking about leo's Rick. had okay. a lot of roles to i cook. was like <laughs> no but just as far as leo freak out scenes oh, go yeah. him but yeah he He's just one of those actors that never had his number called, which is a billion. There's so many talents. And aside, I mean, he did. It's also like this thing where, like, he reached a level of success. Oh, he got higher than 99%. But then it just, it never went anywhere. And his problem was, was that, but his problem was that he was, he was on like this top tier TV show. And instead, he was just like, "I'm gonna give that up. I'm gonna try and shoot my shot, bet on myself." And it didn't quite to be like a true yeah. blue movie star, yeah. and, and it didn't work. And that happens to so many people where they cancel. Like they've had an opportunity where they are like a list, but then they give that up because they want to be a plus list. Yeah, they just they made a gamble and it doesn't pay off. And then they, you know, after th- two or three of those that go wrong, you're untouchable. But no aside, one wants to book you anymore. Aside from the acting, he's also like. He stutters. He's, you know? Yeah, he has he, a stutter. He has, like, he kind of shakes a Oh, We bit. didn't even talk about his actually, like, his performance that he gives is that he makes a choice, and I love everything yeah. about his character. But it, 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 I don't know if that's in the script. I mean, it might have been. It, it might just be a Leo thing. I mean, but, like, yeah. it, it informs the character in a way where you kind of you kind of think, like, this guy, he has he's viewed himself as a failure, but those failures are just... The, the things about him that make him imperfect are not what make are not the things that make him a failure. Mm. The things that make him a failure are the things that he didn't do in his career yeah. that he thinks he should have done. But there's still these things about himself that like he's not a failure because he stammers or because he has like a weird 
quasi Parkinson's thing going he does, on. Yeah, he has a limp too. I mean, the in that book scene that really lays out Leo's life, where he's re- talking about the book. The character in the book has a spinal injury right. that has slowed them down. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they were just saying that. Yeah, Leo does too. Don't you know? Don't question it. Rick any Dalton. Rick Dalton. Yes. Yeah. No, Leo. <laughs> so that that whole thing tying to the ending is almost like yeah, you could say that that is a thing about his career. And that him going up to the house means that he is going to be the big movie star that he always wanted to be. But I honestly don't think that that's exactly what the movie's trying to say. I think it's more of like something more about Rick Dalton as a man and just how Hollywood is as a town and as a city. And how like, yes, these are stars. These are people with with fame and fortune, but they're still just people. And just going to your neighbor's house and making a friend is a level of success. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of takes that you can take from the last shot that they have there because there's also very melancholy music that's playing um, there that's well, a little bit somber where you're like, so are they going to send, is Manson going to send like another yeah, crew other of people, people there to, to like kill all well, of them? I wanted what? to say that because I said that right when we came out of the movie is I was almost dead sure. That be- they're all going to beca- I mean, the imagery of it, it seemed really clear to me until like the movie ends on like a slightly, you know, the the uh, music, ta- the, you know, at, by the end it's in a major key mm. and everyone is happy. But the, when Emil Hirsch is opening the gate, it's a big black barred gate. And it's very slowly opening, and this music, when it starts, is very slow and ominous. That is That is very, I mean, I didn't even think about the gate, but that's like amazing imagery to open up the gates of New Hollywood to Rick Dalton. Yeah, so that is the discussion, is gates, I mean, you know, bars obviously represent one thing. They represent confinement in a lot of ways. The color of the gate interested me a lot, because if it were white, there would be even more It'd of a like debate. Heaven. Even, yeah, even more of a, of a debate to be like, well, is it, is he walking into his heaven on earth or is he about to get killed? Uh, the fact that it's a black gate, I mean, it's not like black is associated with positive things in film. You know what I mean? So I really, I think that it was meant to be up for interpretation. Uh, well, maybe, know, maybe it's not that he is literally going to get murdered, but it is a It's opening form up a door. Of, it's Dumb. it's a form of death that Hollywood constantly offers to its victims. That these people that become famous and get sucked up into stardom have to sacrifice something, yeah. and it is a type of death. Yeah, I think. I mean, ultimately, what I did take away is, uh, if he wanted to have a cut and dry positive last shot, he would, and that was not this shot. Yeah. Like this was a shot that was meant to be interpreted. It's very, and that's a positive. To I me. mean, I like even shots even the actual shot like itself is just like very like overlooking it's to all very of this. Slow it's, moving. The the music really takes its time to let you know that it's not scary. Like for like ten seconds, it is scary, yeah. and then it's not anymore. It like if he wanted to end on a positive note, he knows how to yeah. deal with soundtracks. It would have been just a. Cut yeah, I mean, I, good I said in the non-spoilers that the sound is such an important part to yeah, this movie. Yeah, I like I'm I and I appreciate that. I appreciate that there are multiple ways to view it. I've only heard one other person. I think it might have been Amanda Dobbins who came away with the same feeling that I did. But I like that anyone at all can come away with different feelings. Yeah, I appreciate that. And the sound is part of like what you kind of how you're immersed into this world and i think that part of my expectation for this movie was that this was like oh this is going to be a very 60s movie with like flower kids and (laughs) the beatles and Jimi hendrix and i kind of (laughs) love that it wasn't that that it wasn't like the who and and yeah uh, 
uh, the Beatles have... on the radio all the time. But it's it's all these kind of deep cuts, like Deep Purple, and I mean, we get a little Simon and Garfunkel in there, but it's all of these artists that I've never heard of before. But it, listening it good. listening to the songs, I'm like, oh, this is so great. It He's... just puts. Well, me I mean, back there's in a lot world. of there's multiple Paul Revere and the Raiders songs in there. Um, who that's who Sharon Tate's listening oh, to on the okay, record yeah, player, yeah, yeah. and then another song by them comes up later on in the movie, I believe. But it, but it makes it so it's, it's less performative and theatrical. Yeah, uh, which can work. And a movie like a movie I saw recently, like The Last Man, Black Man in San Francisco, is a movie that's very theatrical and and performative. But in this movie, I because it was because it's the 1960s. I I had this like idea of what it is because of pop culture and what pop culture tells us about the 60s that in this version it's like it does feel like we're in this yeah. very realistic version of okay, it. Okay, so that kind of I I know that we're starting to kind of run a little bit long, but a couple of other things that I can already tell right now are just going to age beautifully about this movie. One of them is kind of the death of monoculture that we have in society now that at the end of the day whether you are one of the manson family or you're rick dalton you listen to the same radio stations and you watch uh what is the show fbi on sunday nights (laughs) like you all watch the same thing another thing that's going to age beautifully is single auditorium theaters like i love the scene when sharon tate's walking down and she walks past two or three other theaters they're all playing different they're all playing different movies at yeah. each of the theaters. Yeah. Such a cool thing that just doesn't... Mm-hmm. Now we go um, to AMC where they have 24 auditoriums. Yeah. And Shouts to Kate Berlant, by the way. The, uh, uh, the ticket yeah, Kate Berlant. Yeah. I love Kate Berlant. She's great. Criminally underrated. She popped up in um, Sorry to Bother You. She's in I Think You Should there. Leave in I one of the great sketches. The Garfield sketch. yeah. yeah. She's so, so funny. Anyway, though, uh, yeah, we can get into our rankings, but it was no question that the soundtrack was going to be so good because... Yeah. I, I'd wager to say that maybe every Tarantino movie, he like, is so well, good at it. Th- and also, uh, most of them are not in the 60s, but they all have music from the 60s and 70s. And in this one, it actually ma- made sense for the time period. Yeah. You know, like if he went period specific for every movie, like Inglorious Bastards would just be like, all out music. Hunter, to your point about how this movie is going to age, I just, I love how much this movie has made me think and ponder over it and i really do think that tarantino even though this movie it it seems so different given everything else he's gotten it's still something that's worth chewing over and worth dissecting and like really laboring over what he's trying to say and what and what what it means so I think that this movie is going to have a very, very long shelf life. And it fits in the we've, canon. We've, we've brought up a lot of issues we've had with it. It's definitely a flawed movie. But that doesn't mean it's not great. Yeah. But every, it doesn't mean it's not one of, it, one of the best movies of the year because it yeah. is. Every movie is a flawed movie. Yeah. yeah. Except for uh, it's it's as the as the young actress once said, all actors should uh, strive for one hundred percent perfection. They never actually totally achieve that, but it's mm-hmm. all about the pursuit. Shoot, shoot for the yeah. stars. Even if you don't land, you'll well, be in the moon. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do our Quentin Quentin Tarantino rankings, but before then, gotta take a break because uh, we've been sitting here for a little while. Gotta so pee. gonna do a quick little break, and when we get back, we're doing uh, a segment that I like to call. Quentin Rank Tino. Nope. We'll be right back. Okay, I'm going to take some time to think. And it was understood. 
Thanks for tuning in to part one of our Quentin Tarantino double episode this week. Make sure you listen to part two, our top five Quentin Tarantino movies, right in your podcast feed. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. In that day.